Hey everybody, it's Jill. And this is Mel. And this is Mel and Jill Geek Out. Hey everyone. Hi Mel. Hey. It's Mel and Jill in the afternoon. <laughs> it's also Mel and, well, not Mel and Jill, but Jill's in her closet. Testing this out today. If it's a little echoey in here, it is because uh, I have packed most of the things in my office because I am moving in like two weeks. So that'll be fun. It's an exciting time of year to move. I've done it before this time of year. For reference to everyone, like December just kicked off. So it's a fun time to move at Christmas. (laughs) So like... I don't have any kids, so, like, moving at Christmas for me is, like, not, like, a huge deal, and I'm very fortunate my job gives us a week off during the holiday, so you either pick the week of Christmas or the week of New Year's, and you have that off paid. I'm very fortunate, so it's kind of serendipitous for me because I won't have to use, like, vacation time or anything, but this also coincides with, like, the biggest event we have every year. Yeah, it's a bit of, it's, you got a lot going on. Yeah, I was very mean to, like, the project manager. I was like, I am, he was like, can you come on this day? And I was like, no. Absolutely not. (laughs) No. I have too much going on, sir. Too much. No. No, I cannot. But thanks for asking. (sighs) But yes, yay, joys of moving. The hot, tis the holiday season. It is. It is. So I I do have to say, just because we're going to pick back up with Frost and Starlight here in just a few minutes, uh, I may have been a bit passionate about how much I disliked the book. I don't dislike the book. I guess to me, it was just very much a like, this could have been sprinkled in in the other books, but I get it. I totally recognize that a lot of people need the reprieve, and it's fair. Uh, I will say this, though. Like, I don't... I feel very much in the minority on this opinion, because everyone on TikTok is like, oh, everyone says that you can skip this book. No. No, no, no. Like, 90% of the people that I see are like, oh my god, it's amazing, it's so wonderful. Also, I really do feel the whole, like, this is very much a Hallmark Christmas movie, which I really dislike, which also probably kind of hits the format issue for me. So to be fair, I get that lots of people love it. So I am in my own little corner. I'll try to rein the feelings back in. I think your feelings are valid and you are absolutely allowed to have them. I just feel differently about this book a because i do like a good hallmark movie i watched one yesterday it was it was so bad jill like i can't believe i didn't stop watching it i was just like the acting was bad the story was dumb the third act breakup was so stupid it was for the dumbest 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 reason and i'm just like I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Uh, But this to me is like the warm, fuzzy, 
I want to feel the feelings of like the holiday season, but I will make the argument every day that I would rather have the information that we're getting in Frost and Starlight as a novella versus her trying to write like a whole book about like the kind of nothing that's going on right now where like Nest is being self-destructive and Cassian is dealing with a lot of stuff with like the aftermath of war with the troops that Feyre is, you know, getting back to her artist ways and making decisions about her future with Reese. Reese is doing high lord things. Amran's trying to cope with being a high fae instead of whatever the fuck she was before. Um, you know, and all of those kinds of things. I didn't I wouldn't have wanted that as a whole book to me as a novella with some like cheery holiday season type like moments. I will accept much better so that when we do get to Frost and or excuse me, Silver Flame, it can just kind of kick off running. We don't, and you don't have this like huge time jump where you feel like you don't, you're questioning what might have happened in all of that time. I, I'll take the 150 pages and have a good time with it. That's fair. That's fair. But did you, did I hear? Maybe I'm misremembering this. Did I hear you say that you like to like feel the feelings with the holiday movies? Like the Hallmark movies? When they do it well. Okay, because that is not... Like, if I want to feel the holiday feelings, like, real hard, I watch shit like The Family Stone. Like, that... That is like a I want to like self-torture myself moment, but I god, it's such a good movie and I love it. I love that movie. Yeah, if I want to feel the feels and it's like a hot like to really get myself into the holiday spirit, I'm honestly probably gonna go back to like I'm um I'm gonna own that I'm very millennial in this and it's all about that nostalgia. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna watch like that Rankin and Bass. Uh, Rudolph's Red Nose Reindeer. I know you hate it. I'm gonna watch the original <laughs> animated Grinch or the you know the live action yeah. one with Jim Carrey. I'm gonna probably watch maybe like Santa Claus or like Mickey's Christmas Carol. Um, my mom had taped Mickey's Christmas Carol and a bunch of other like Disney animated shorts of the holidays for us oh. on VHS, like. So I like had those. those are the things that remind me of the holidays. There was like this one with Chip and Dale and Donald and they were messing up his Christmas tree and Okay, so yeah, those are like two different kinds of feels, I guess. Like fun holiday happy memory feels, sure, I'm in with you. But like yeah. But I've always loved I've always loved The Family Stone. I've had a lot harder time watching it the last two years. Um, so for context for like both sides of that coin is one, my mom passed away from breast cancer a couple of years ago. Uh, the other half of that coin is that the family stone is about a matriarch who passes away from breast cancer after it like, uh, after being in remission for a good chunk of time, which is incredibly similar to my mother's story. Now I don't have brothers or anything like that. 
But when the movie came out, I fucking, I loved it. I thought it was so good. It was one of those ones that like made you cry and it was like a good cry thing. Now it makes me cry for a very, very different reason. (laughs) I mean, I have, I'll be honest, I have not watched A Family Stone. I've never seen it. Oh. So maybe that's our holiday movie. Oh, no, no. Mm-mm. No, you can't do it? That's I fine. Can't. L- I, like, I do want you to watch it, and you and I can privately do that. I don't think I could handle discussing it on the podcast. I would Fair. be, I'd be an emotional mess. Like, that, and then a white Christmas less so, but probably still in that camp, because that was... That was a mom staple was white Christmas. So, but at the same time, like I fucking loved it. Like I grew up watching that every year. So like my sister and I, like we were also those kids. Maybe you were probably this kid too. I would bet you were. Um, We would like to put on plays for the family. Like we would rope everyone in and make them watch us. So I don't have a very big family. No. So if I had a bigger family, could I have seen myself doing that? A hundred percent. But it really was just like, I don't have a huge extended family. My mom is was dramatically younger than her two siblings, um, like 15 years younger than my uncle and my aunt. Um, and my aunt passed away when I was three and my uncle passed away when I was nine. Um, and my dad was not close to any of his family and we were the only ones left in California. Everybody else had kind of scattered to the wind. So like, I didn't grow up knowing or having a relationship with my cousins. I was also like 30 years younger than they were because <laughs> my mom, then all my parents also had us kind of late in life. My mom was 38 when she had me. So you know, there, there, there's a big gap. So I'm not used to like the, like people talk about how like having like grandparents and things like that and I have no idea what that experience is like because all of my grandparents had passed away before I was born so okay okay I don't know what that like big family feeling is like John kind of has like a mix like he has step family members and so like even though it's really just biologically him his mom and his brother and his dad his his mom and dad aren't together anymore like that his family feels huge to me. So. Because there's like step siblings. <laughs> I feel like my family is huge, but not all at the same time. So when I'm talking about like putting on productions for my family members, uh, I, this is, there were several iterations of this. Like we don't have a big family either. My, it was my sister and myself and then my parents. And um, we would do that to them. We would like corral them into the living room and make them watch us. And it was usually like, I I don't really even remember where this started, honestly. And then we would do it with my cousins. I had uh, four cousins in total, but like three of them were on my mom's side and there were the three girls. So it was the five granddaughters. Uh, my grandmother and grandfather had passed away pretty early. So I didn't have grandparents on that side. And it was, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Good God, I'm not, I don't need to get everyone my history. But we would, we would corral everyone together into the living room and like put on these like um, productions and things. And like, it got funnier as we got older. And like, I remember one year it was, she's, she's like the second oldest cousin 
and I, mm-hmm. she probably was like in middle school approaching high school at this point and um our whole family is big Monty Python fans and so they did the Holy Grail movie and I distinctly remember her doing the like coconut clap <laughs> clicking the things together Bitch. um and then some goofy movie dances and stuff like that but anyway um the eye to eye dance oh absolutely are you kidding oh god yeah <laughs> There were- so I will also say I was a very shy child. Gotcha. I so I you didn't know. It's funny because like you, I think you, if I pegged you so much as a theater had, kid, and I would have thought so that this would have been I you. Got there if I, if they had like pushed me at all, I probably would have done it and been like and would have ended up like thriving in it. But I didn't do theater until high school. Gotcha. And then I took theater in high school and really enjoyed it. And then I did theater in college. Um, so I, you know, and then I was, I went to film school. So like I was in around. Yeah. That. And you become, and I worked at Disney. So like I've become more comfortable being more outgoing and like more in not in like a negative sense, like more performative. And, like, being more comfortable in those kinds of situations. But elementary school me was very shy. God, it's so funny. It's kind of gone to the opposite now for me. Like, as a kid, I was not shy, I guess. I I don't remember being shy. I mean, with people I didn't really know. But, like, with family members, like, not shy at all. I would perform to my heart's content. And I kind of remember wanting to be famous at some point. And I don't remember when this shift happened, but like, if you asked me if I wanted to be famous today, the answer would be absolutely not. No, thank you. I don't like, listen, we do this for fun and I totally enjoy it. And like, if it takes off, great. Fucking awesome. I'm happy to just leave it at that. I don't want to be this massive mega. (laughs) That scared the shit out of me. Uh, yeah. Hey, Rosie, thank you. Oh, God, that was funny. Uh, I don't want to be famous now. It scares me. Like, people are terrifying on the internet. So, um, um, yeah. But yeah. Where, how did we get here? We were talking about Christmas movies. You brought up doing stuff at Christmas time. and Oh, man, I don't. I had we a- go down tangents. It's fine. We should probably get into this book unless you want to do like six parts on a novella. No, no. We need to get into this book so we can start Silver Flame and also maybe fit in a Christmas movie podcast. Because like, I do want that to happen. And like, not that I don't want to talk about this book, but like, I kind of want to do that. Me personally, a smidge more. So I'm going to stop talking and we'll get into it. So we left off at the end of chapter 11. So we're going to jump into chapters 12 and 13 from Feyre's perspective. Um, So this is a great scene. I kind of love it. So it is when uh, Cassian comes back and he and Feyre are decorating the townhouse for Solstice and they also get drunk. (laughs) Listen, if you're not getting drunk while you're decorating your house, what are you doing? What are you even doing? They get into the good wine maybe not, and uh maybe not drunk. Maybe just like a a beer or two. Like, you know. You should be consuming holiday spirits of some kind, whether have it's some wine, fun. whether it's beer, little spiked eggnog. 
mug, a little coffee with Baileys, whatever suits your your fancy. Yeah, or not. Float your boat. Hot chocolate's good too, you know. Hot chocolate, but like you should be imbibing in some kind of manner, some kind of festive mood. Yeah. Yes, it is just part of the experience. You gotta stay hydrated. No, maybe I don't know. Not lose your shit. That's what. That's the goal. Um. So they're not doing a very good job. So when As gets there, he sees these two drunken idiots just like throwing tinsel and garland everywhere. And he's like scurrying around trying to make it look better because Cassian and Feyre are just a hot mess. And I fully believe that As is like, if we you ever go into like As's house, it's the one where like you... You could, like, literally lick the floor because it's so pristinely, perfectly clean. He's, like, probably this minimalist. Everything's, like, perfect. Yeah. That is ass. That's, he's that dude, for sure. That's what I perceive. It's, like, good style, but, like, literally pristine and perfect. So, as as is trying to, like, run around <laughs> and fix everything, um, they... But the two, Cassian and Feyre, are just menaces and are trying to get him to drink with them. <laughs> and when he finally does, of course, that's the moment that uh, Reese comes in. He's like, oh, I see you guys got into the good wine. <laughs> and Hess is like, ah. And Reese is like, I don't give a shit. Go drink. I don't care. Go have fun. Then Lauren and Amrin get there. And it's just like... The family's back together. And it's the family you like. So it's like even better. Um, so we also learned that Elaine has been helping Nuala and Caridwin. Um, if I mispronounce that, I am so sorry. Listen, it's okay. These names are hard. <laughs> These names are hard. Okay, it's not from a point of disrespect. I'm just not good at it. I can't pronounce in English. Don't get me started on other languages. So... We find that she's been helping in the kitchen prepare this beautiful meal. And while everyone else is going to be uncouth, Asriel goes to help her carry some of the food into the dining room. And he, like, makes everyone be prim and proper for her. Because <laughs> he is also prim and proper. <laughs> no, we will have it this way. <laughs> He's like, be polite. It matters to Elaine. He's so embarrassed. He's so embarrassed that nobody else is being polite. That's the problem. He's like, Jesus get Christ, it. you people. Like, get it together. <laughs> He's like, stop acting like hooligans. <laughs> so I think it's pretty clear that Elaine is still not doing super great. Like, she's getting a little bit better, but she's been through a lot with, like, becoming Faye and losing Grayson and the whole war and she has like this new magical ability of being a seer that we just don't talk about, which I'm annoyed about, but that is here nor there. The fact that it took them that long to figure it out really Um, So yeah, she's definitely in her feels a little bit still and Nesta is um, not great. She is being incredibly self-destructive. She's gotten herself a little apartment that's kind of in the not nice part of town. Is Even though, like, that's hard to find in Valaris because most of it's pretty nice. She's somehow found herself 
on the wrong side of the tracks. And she spends all day drinking and going to bars and dancing. I mean, she's processing. She's processing. Yeah, it's interesting. And then we get this other great scene where the entire inner circle starts making fun of Amran because she has to have normal bodily functions now. It's funny that this didn't occur to her before. But also, I didn't even know that that wasn't a thing with her. So... Apparently it wasn't, but it is fun to make fun of her not knowing that she has to go pee. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, It's just funny. Um, And so then after dinner... Uh, Feyre and Reese decide to go visit Nesta and invite her to Solstice. And, um, was it an invite? Bribe her to come to Solstice? Uh, more like, um, not bribe. What's the word? Not blackmail, but, um, twist her arm, I guess, is more what I feel like. It wasn't yeah, an invite. Tell her, hey, we'd like you to come. She's like, fuck you. And then you're like, well, we'll pay your your rent mm-hmm. if if you come. Yeah. And she's like, I'll think about it. Wasn't it? A, I thought it was a like, I'm going to stop paying your rent. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> and so then we go to chapter 14 and we switch over to Resan's perspective. And it is... Uh, the next day, and they're over by this destroyed villa, and he is with Moore, and uh, she's telling him how the family of this who owned this estate has actually moved to their country estate uh, because of the damage, and they're not planning on coming back. Uh, Moore is not super happy, Riz Reese, because it's going to come up here very soon that Kier and the homies from the Hume City are going to get let into Volaris. They're going to get to come visit. She's not very happy about that. She's very unhappy about that. Um, And even though, like, he's been working with all the merchants and all of the people of Volaris to kind of, like, not do business with them... It's still not good. Like, they're still probably going to. And my my thought is just like, how do you know that there's no dreamers in the Hume City? Yeah. I think more just is, is making a big assumption that everyone there is awful. Um, which I think kind of speaks to like, it's funny because that's what everybody thinks about. Reese and the whole inner circle they all think that they're all terrible people we obviously learn that that's not the case so it wouldn't surprise me if that's the same thing in the Hewn city so I think Moore's just really doesn't want to deal with them at all and just has put them all into the bucket they're all bad um Eris as well which we talked about last episode I don't really think Eris is actually as bad as everybody's making him out to be so yeah, I understand why Moore is, like, frustrated, but at the same time, like, Moore needs to fucking grow up. 
Uh, like it's yeah. been hundreds of years at this point. Grow the fuck up. Well, it's, let it go. It's either let it go or confront it. Like you can't, you can't live in the limbo that you're in. And then I know I'm probably way off book here, like in the timeline. But more also needs to grow a pair and tell As that she doesn't want to be with him. So I agree. More needs to grow up a little bit and start making some adult decisions for someone who's a hundred, several hundred years old. Yeah, who's a, who's like. 500-ish years old. Yeah. So Reese gives her this opportunity to start taking missions, projects, tasks, whatever you want to call it, outside of the city. He wants to potentially send her to the continent to try to work with the people there and have them be better prepared against whatever the queens, the mortal queens might be planning. And to see if there's any, if like Highburn had left any vestiges behind in these places. But more kind of like not into it. Um, but Reese really thinks that she could be a good emissary in this and really helping with treaty negotiations and getting into the courts a little bit better than like as can with just his spies. So she agrees to think about it. But it, it definitely is setting us up for what more is going to be doing probably here in the near future. So then we go back to Farah and she's shopping for Reese, but she's not having a great time. So she is out with Elaine and they're shopping and it's a new concept to them because the humans didn't have holidays like this. And they were also poor. So they're not used to buying presents for people. Really? Mm -hmm. I must I must not have remembered that. I don't remember that. Yeah, the humans don't believe in any gods. But then why was Feyre... But I swear, like wasn't Feyre... Then why is Feyre swearing to the gods at all whenever she gets mad? Because, because she's a fae now. No, I know a fae now, but she didn't grow up. You don't just, like, automatically start believing in because you turned into a fae. I had that same question, and then when I did my reread of Akatar, she makes this promise to the Fae gods if she gets out from under the mountain that she will believe. Oh. And it all starts from that moment. We definitely missed that, but okay. It was subtle, so it was it's not super easy to catch. So that wasn't on you. I literally only got it because I... Fairly re -recent, recently re-listened to Akatar. Gotcha. So then they go into this tapestry shop. <laughs> and they talk to the artist. And sh the artist has made this incredibly beautiful piece. She's called The Void. And it is Void with a capital V. So it's just, it's black and it's dark and it seems like it's absorbing all of the light. And she said that it was this piece that she made out of sort of despair. And she, the artist explains that she wanted to see if darkness could be made woven. And she also has made one that has silver thread in it. And it's, she calls that one ho. 
I just want to make sure we call this to attention because I am a crazy person and I think this ties into the Crescent City stuff. Probably. Wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But we can't talk this about ties- it. Can't talk about nope. it. <laughs> nope. We're not there yet. So, Feyre then, <clears throat> she ends up buying the Void, but not necessarily for Reese. She just ends up buying it. And she then leaves Elaine and she winnows back into that abandoned studio and then she starts to paint again, but Resenia comes back in um, and she tells her that the family has decided to sell the studio. So is now like, hmm. <laughs> so she leaves the studio and she quite literally runs into Reese um, and he tells, she tells him that she has been painting Um. And she is kind of processing a thought where she thinks art might be able to be used sort of in like a therapeutic sense uh, to help other people with their grief and trauma. Um, the way that it helped this weaver who made the void and hope um, as well as how it helps Sarah. And I'm like, well, welcome to art therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Art is used all the time in therapy. So you are not incorrect, Vera. Mm-hmm. But also, they don't have therapy in Prithian, so it is a novel concept from that perspective. But I think everybody there has their own form of therapy, as we find out mm-hmm. next book, in my opinion. Like, you see it in other examples, of pe- in the other I people. Th- I think Sarah J. Mass is trying to make the argument that, like, there is deeper purpose to artistic endeavors. And Agreed. Whatever you choose to be, whether it's painting or writing or whatever it may be, there's a therapeutic outlet in being artistic. Human beings are innately creative. Exactly. So then Farah goes to visit uh, Amrit, who's just like chilling, doing a puzzle. Which, like, I want to live that life. I want to just be chilling She's got in nothing. my apartment. She's, a like, a, a human-ish to her. A, a human-ish now. I know she's technically fae, but, like, like compared to what she was, she's basically a human. Sorry for that little momentary intermission. I got an Amazon package. Rosie decided to let the Amazon man know who exactly was in charge. <laughs> yeah she only sounds like that until you open the door and she's like oh that's a new friend let me get him i know it's so funny because she sounds absolutely vicious and she's so not it's hilarious <laughs> yeah she sounds scary but she she's not her best friend is my 10 pound cat like she's like when you play with her and like she gets mouthy because she's a dog. I don't know. She doesn't even, like, actually put her teeth on you. She just kind of, like, puts her mouth around your hand. She's very gentle. Anyways, back to Amarin being as close to a normal being as she possibly could be. And she's just doing a puzzle, which we love. Who doesn't love a good puzzle? I don't know. I love a good puzzle. Um, and we find out Varian is there, but he's not in the apartment. He's out, like, shopping. Uh, but Fairy has some intention on this visit. She wants to talk to 
her about Nesta. And is like, no, I'm not going to have this conversation with you because I'm not going to talk about Nesta behind your back. I'm going to have some loyalty there. And I'm like, okay. But she does agree to try to convince Nesta to come to Solstice. I get where Amran was coming from because nobody wants to be talked about. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I don't feel like Pharaoh was coming to gossip. Pharaoh no. was coming to Amran out of concern. And so I don't, I get where Amran was coming from, but I don't necessarily agree that was the most appropriate response. I think Amran could have agreed to, like, help a little bit. Yeah, I think Amran probably knows a little bit more about what's going on with Nesta because they are friends. That's fair. But, um, and I understand, like, wanting that loyalty and but I think, I think Amran also knows that, like, if she were to say anything, Nesta would get so mad. Yeah. Regardless, like, regardless of what the context was of her saying anything at all, Nesta's just not going to take it well. Fair. So then we flip back to Reese, and he is now with Gessian. And they're getting all the rooms set up in the townhouse for solstice and it is a tight fit cassian and as are supposed to share a room because elaine's moved into one they have to shove lucian somewhere like it is uh it's a tight fit and so reese then tells hold on hold on before we move on that's that's what the holidays are everybody gets shoved into a fucking room together you're all crammed into a house everybody's sharing rooms with people that they don't want to what is it what is that line from national lampoon's christmas vacation it's christmas we're all in misery (laughs) i'm joking christmas is not misery i'm it's not but like in that particular scene it can be but in that particular scene in the movie like the old Audrey is talking about sharing a room slash bed with her brother and she's like, I have nightmares about what he does in his own bed. And his response, and Ellen, her mother's response was, I have to share a room with your father. It's Christmas. We're all in misery. So <laughs> I think Cassian and Az will probably enjoy snuggling up a little bit. As might not, but Cassian's definitely going to enjoy fucking with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cassian is gonna, like, put his hand, like, as his hand in water, and it's gonna be the whole... He's also gonna gonna help, he would be the guy to, like, naked snuggle up on his buddy, like, and and spoon him. That's what Cassian would do, just to drive as up the fucking wall. Probably. Yeah, some shenanigans are going to happen. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fine. Um, But Reese then tells Az and Cassian that Devlin, dude up at the Illyrian camp, is actually sticking to the training schedule for the girls. Yay. For once, he's finally fucking listening. We love that. Making progress. Uh, Slow and steady. I know. Cassian is fighting a losing battle a little bit until you know some big cultural shifts happen and who knows if that's gonna happen it's just it's just difficult but 
I think we'll see some good development by the end of Silver Flame. Uh, then Cassian does ask about the unrest in the camps, but they don't really go into detail. And Grace is like, we'll talk about it after Solstice. Um, and it's just kind of like Reese is happy. He's like, everybody's here. My brothers are here. My wife is here. Her sisters who I kind of don't give a shit about are here. (laughs) 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 Like, he's just having a good time. So then we are going to go through Solstice. This is chapters 17 through 20, everyone. They're all from Feyre's perspective. I have just blob them all together because it's just essentially one long ass day. Yeah. So we wake up solstice morning and uh, it is also Feyre's birthday. So it's a snowy day. They're having a little white Christmas moment. Love that for them. Doesn't happen that often in reality. So no, no, but we love it. Uh, So Reese then surprises Feyre with some presents no one cares what the presents are. Um, but I will make a note that one of the things was a new sketchbook, and Feyre then proceeds to draw Reese in the nude. All I could think of in that moment was, like, the Titanic scene. Drawn like one of your French girls, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> t-shirt shop because we have too many good t-shirt ideas yeah i still want to make a shirt that says ferret uh, is good in a fight and not much else when we eventually get enough people to follow the pod who listen who want merch those will be the first two lines (laughs) yeah that is that is hilarious um So they go downstairs and the whole crew is there. And um, then hasn't Cassian just kidnap Reese? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say anything yet. So then Ferris, uh, this is when she starts reviewing the finances to see if they have enough money um, for her to buy this studio. Surprise, surprise. And they, they, they do because they're filthy fucking rich. Why was she even, like, I get that she came out of poverty, but she did not always live in poverty. Um, why did this bitch think that she didn't have enough money to buy a studio? I don't know. I, I don't know, because did he not, was he not paying her at one point, like, some stupid amount of money? And she was like, I don't need this shit. And he was like, eh, it's okay. You can keep it. It's like It's fine. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Then she goes, uh, she finally stops paying attention to the checkbook and goes and hangs out with her friends and her family. Like, what the fuck are you doing, Feyre? Like, it's fucking solstice. Why are you looking at the fucking books? Anyways, um, so she goes and finds Elaine and asks if she had heard from Nesta and they talk about Nesta for like a second, but then Lucian comes in I just feel bad because, like, Elaine doesn't even give Lucian, like, 
she doesn't owe him anything, but I think the kind thing to do would be like, just like this at minimum, he's your sister's friend. Yeah. You should maybe like be nice to him (laughs) and like show a mild amount of interest, even from like a, Hey, you're my sister's friend perspective. And I would think that Elaine would have, would want to talk to Lucian because Lucian was with their father, who Elaine was very close to, the most during the last few months and like weeks of his life before he, before the battle with Highburn. One more time. So Lucian was with Papa Archeron. That's how Lucian got to the Battle of Highburn, is he was with Papa Archeron. Okay. When he went to go find Vasa, Papa Archeron had already found her, negotiated the deal with Co- like with whoever, I think it's Kochi. Okay. It's not a spoiler. I'm just going to assume it's Kochi. Um, and Lucian joined into their, you know, band of misfits and came across with the armies. Right. During the Battle of Highburn. Oh. So I would think that because Elaine was so close to her father and he had been gone for so long. She would be a little bit Lucian more. Lucian is a person who would potentially have information about, like, she could talk to Lucian about their, her father and be like, what was he saying? What was he doing? Like. Yeah. To try to get some amount of closure from the horrific death of their father. Okay. Yeah. Why I I why do you think she didn't? I don't I honestly don't know. I don't know why I get that Elaine does not want to be thrust upon Lucian and I don't think Lucian really wants Elaine thrust upon him. But he's not a bad person and this isn't like you know, the incel version of, like, good guys finish last, burr, 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 Like, it's not that at all. Like, Lucian yeah. is a pretty good person. He has not done anything wrong to Elaine. He's never put any pressure on her. Yeah. To, to accept the mating bond. He just wants to, like, it's like that conversation that he and Favor have in Aquawar where he just wants to get to know her. Yeah, I don't understand why he gets treated the way he does because he wants to do those things. It doesn't seem fair. Sorry, yeah. No. It it doesn't seem fair to me. So it's awkward with Elaine and Lucian and It was awkward as fuck. Awkward as fuck awkward she's like but yeah she like literally like cringes away and then like as soon as possible she runs away yeah um but lucian tells feyre about uh jurian and Vasa, and they're all actually staying in the old archeron manor and they're both jurian and Vasa are doing well um and they're both popular with the local crowds. Um, so, you know, things are going well. And I definitely think Elaine is still at this point hung up on Grayson. 
Oh, not yeah. over it. No. And Lucian isn't about this. Um, he feels, I think he just feels so guilty. Like, he didn't mean to have, like, he didn't con- create this mating bond with her. It just, she popped out of the cauldron and it, there it was. Yeah. I think the only thing, he, he did the thing that Reese didn't do, but she just blurted it out as soon as he realized it. But. Yeah. That's not, that's not something to blame him for. No, it's not his fault. It's, Yeah. So then we get this, like, really sad line from Lucian where he says, to accept a life shackled to me. He's a, like, I do feel bad for him, but he's a smidge poor me right now. Like. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's in his feels. Can we also, I think you were just about to say this, but, like. Can we talk about how Pharaoh was, like, weirdly surprised that Lucian was friends with Jurian and Vasa? Yeah, I don't know why that was surprising to her. Or, like, realizing that, like, the three of them were friends. No, I was like... They spent a lot of time together. They kind of went through a good chunk of time and a good chunk of shit with each other. Like, why wouldn't they be friends at this point? Like... Yeah, especially like Lucian and Vasa, because you got to think they came over from the continent together with Papa Archer on. Yeah, exactly. They they have spent a lot of time together. Lucian hasn't spent as much time with Jurian, but some because he was in the spring court with him. Yeah. So like, and we don't know the entirety of their interactions together, but they call themselves the Band of Exiles. It's cute. And I just, I literally wrote it in all caps in the notes. Can we please get some Band of Exiles chapters SJM? For <laughs> like, real. Can I get a bonus chapter of just the Band of Exiles shooting the shit? It's like asking for the fucking Marauders chapters as well, which you're never, ever going to get. Like, which sucks because it would be so good. That's what HBO needs to develop right there is the fucking Marauders. That would be entertaining. It's this, the only thing I feel like HP fans really w- would want to consume. But I don't know if you can do it without J.K. Rowling being involved. No. That's... And then it becomes a whole mess. Yeah. It, HP fans don't want to give her any money i would i would love a marauder story i think it'd be really interesting to see how uh i think the most interesting character development would be james potter honestly from a marauder's perspective because i think he probably starts out closer to a lucius malfoy kind of character like kind of a douche yeah i think he starts out as kind of a douche and then he gets put in his place yeah by a lot of stuff. By a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the disenfranchisement of Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. To ultimately lead to the betrayal of them. That's a whole other thing. So let's just go back to, let's go back. Anyways, we can theorize about, like, hopeful, possible Harry Potter expanded universe stuff anytime we want. But yes, I desperately want, like, a, at least a bonus chapter of 
the band of exiles because I love this concept. I'm also in the camp. I know you haven't finished uh, the throne of glass series, but I also think that uh, we could get a tower of dawn situation in if depending on how many books Akatar ends up being where the main characters are just not in it at all. And we follow other people's stories. So I think we could get like more on the, you know, more Lucian, other characters who are out and doing other things. That's just my thought. I can see that. I can see that. That's just my thought. So then, uh, <laughs> because Feyre, uh dismantled the spring court from the inside, Whoops. Uh, things aren't bad. And it's bad for Lucian, too. Because, uh, Everyone thinks that she and Lucian were doing some kind of something. Well, because she made that implication. Like, I can't remember if we, like, fully, like, talked about that. But she definitely, like, made everyone think that that's what was going on. And so, Tamlin's pissed. Tamlin's? Like, it's not true. Well, yeah. Nothing was going on. But it's not just Tamlin. It's literally everyone else. Yeah. Everyone in the spring court thinks that there was something going on. I mean... So everybody's pissed at Lucian. But also, why is she surprised? I don't understand. Like, hey, there are these things called consequences to your action. Not the consequences of my own actions. So. Yeah. So Lucian also talks about, like, not really feeling super comfortable, essentially being dependent on Feyre and Reese for everything like they pay him to be their emissary like but how is it any different than Tamlin like mm, but yeah so he just uh after Reese's visit Tamlin even pushed the Lucian away we surprised no uh so Lucian drops off his presence for Feyre and Elaine and then he deuces out of there um, so Favor goes and finds Elaine. She's down in the kitchens and she's trying to convince Elaine to just talk to Lucian and she shuts it down. She's not interested. Not having um, it. No. And then more comes in. They're all jibber jabbering. And it's just a mess. And then more takes Feyre to the cabin. We all know the cabin. And she finds out what this mystery tradition that Azriel and Cassian kidnapped Rhysand for and they have an annual snowball fight. It's real cute. It's real cute. It's really cute. (laughs) I can't like it it's almost too cute. Like it's almost too sweet that they have such a like boys will be boys. But, like, in the best way possible. Yeah, it's like these awful things happen to me, but I'm going to hold on to this incredibly innocent tradition with me and my besties and do it every freaking year. So, it's adorable. Oh, I love it. As wins. Um, also, just to make note. 
And then the boys go to warm up in the sauna, but Feyre keeps sending Reese like naughty images of herself through the bot. So they kick him out. You gotta go. Bye. You're like, that's not that's not for in here. Go away. <laughs> go go deal with that. <laughs> You're like that's not for the sauna. That's not this is not that kind of sauna. Um, so they all end up back at the townhouse and they all get dressed up all fancy for dinner and then they surprise Pharaoh with a cake that was actually the decorations on it is inspired by their old dresser so there's the night sky for Pharaoh, the flames for Nesta and the flowers for Elaine on it we love that so after dinner everybody opens presents and then there's a knock at the door Nesta. It's Nesta. Uh, it's a momentarily tense, but then everybody goes back to exchanging gifts. Uh, but the only person who got Nesta anything is Elaine. That's because everybody's asshole. Like, if, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, like if you bother, like, take the time to invite somebody to the point where you're like dangling a shitload of fucking money in front of them, and then you don't take the time to go. Pick out a fucking present. You're an asshole. Sorry. That was mean. That was really dumb. Stupid. I don't know what the word is. I, I don't like it. She shouldn't. It was cruel. Yeah. Honestly. It it didn't win you any points with Nesta. Like you insisted on her being here and then you didn't even bother to buy her a fucking present. Listen. Not, I'm not going into, like, poor me mode, but there has been one point in my entire life where there was a Christmas that not one thing was bought for me, and it was fucking crushing. It was an adult, didn't happen as a child, but, like, it sucks. It absolutely fucking sucks. So I very much identified with Nesta in this, uh, in this scene. I was pissed mm -hmm. for her. Yeah, I also would have been mad. So then Vera gifts Reese the painting of what she saw of herself in the Ouroboros. Which, okay. Weird and choice, then, but okay. Whatever. Um, so <laughs> we do get a nice little funny moment where Elaine gifts Asriel headache powder. Because he always mutters under his breath how everyone is giving him a headache. And he literally throws his head back in laughter. It's so bizarre because it's not even funny. It's not even funny. So it's funny in that like he is like making a sarcastic comment of like, you guys are just giving me a headache. And Elaine took it literally and like went to the Dr. Faye person, Madsha, and had her craft a special headache power powder for Azrael and then gifts it to him on Solstice, thinking it's just like well thought out gift. And it's just, he's just an ass and like a turn of phrase says, y'all giving me a headache. Y'all need to shut up. I genuinely didn't think about it that way. The way I took it was like Elaine was also being a smart ass. I mean, like everybody gives you a headache. Here's the fucking headache powder. I did not take it that way. Okay. So. Well, I mean, either way, I think it works. It doesn't matter either way. Like, yeah. whichever way you see it, it works. I did think it was a little... 
his reaction was a bit strong either way honestly either way but whatever it does to me it just shows that he really loves her that's all that's it i'm just saying he really loves her he does he really really loves her um so then it's late and nesta leaves and she's demanding her money to cover her rent and then cassian is like well i'm gonna i'm gonna walk you home So then we switch to Cassian's perspective and he is walking Nesta home and it is uh, not a great conversation. They argue about Nesta being in this toxic place and Cassian wanting to help her. And then he did get her a solstice present. He just didn't want to give it to her in front of everyone else. He hated the scene so much. And she rejects it. And he, like... She tells him, like, go home. And he's, she's all mean to him. But he does, because he's Cassie and he does make sure she gets home okay. And then he goes and he throws it in the river. I know. I fucking hated this. This was heartbreaking. I hated this chapter. It was terrible. I, oh, I felt so bad for Cassian in this moment. Like, yeah. He's, he's the only one genuinely trying to help Nesta right now. Oh yeah, definitely. And and he's approaching her with like, I can see that you are not okay. I want to help you. What do you need? And she's just completely shutting down because she's not ready for the help. And I, I understand that, but like, still sucks. It's still <sighs> oh my god, it still broke my heart for him. It sucked. Ugh. Oh. So we get like a little snippet of Nesta's perspective, and she's back in her apartment and. You kind of get this glimpse of how badly she's spiraling. And we also get this moment where, like, there's a fire in her fireplace, but she can't hear the crackling of the fire of the flames because it reminds her of the noise she heard when her father's neck snapped. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, that's some serious PTSD right there. Just a smidge. Favorite, like, Nesta has every reason to be in the dark place that she's in. Yeah. She doesn't have the right to be treating people as badly as she is, but she has a right to be hurting as deeply as she is. Fair. Fair. Agreed. I'm a big believer of that. So then, we've... Go into chapter 22 and we flip back to Feyre's perspective and Cassian comes back in and he's obviously like kind of still upset about that whole situation. Uh, and they all hang out for a little bit before they all go back to bed. Um, then Reese whisks Feyre back to the cabin um, for an evening alone because there are about like 4,000 people in their apartment or in their townhouse and they can't be quiet. They can't be quiet. Oh, I know. I'm just waiting because, like, I like you started this chapter. I'm like, I feel like we could just skip all of it and go to the spicy scene. Like, this I, is the spicy scene. I but. know. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> chapter 22 is the one and only, like, on-page spicy scene. So we learn that Reese's mom is the one who made all of the fancy clothes that Reese has been giving Faram. And I have issues with this because how the fuck did she know what size Feyre was going to be? It's because he's a bit awkward. 
Okay, like, when you say, I can't remember, like, it's been a little while, you may rem like, when you're saying she makes all of them, like, like, she made them a long-ass time ago for herself, she just made them, and they're sitting in the fucking closet waiting for Reese's wife? Yes. Okay. The, the latter. She made them, it's been hundreds of years since she's been alive. She was killed during the war, like, 500 years ago. And she made all of these dresses for Reese's future mate. Or, like, his future wife. Maybe it's magic. How, How the fuck? Maybe it's magic. Maybe, but I don't like it. Because what, what if it's, like, special thread, special magical thread that literally just fits whoever puts on the fucking dress? That's what I'm going to go with. Okay. Well, I it still annoys me. Okay. <laughs> there's a little... There's it's a very... There's a gnat in my closet. <laughs> I can't get. It's just a little detail that annoys me. So then Feyre talks about wanting to change her tattoo on her hand. Uh, so instead of having the eye, having it be the Night Court logo. And um, Reese is like, well, if you do that, you're a member of the Night Court forever. And I'm like, she's the fucking lady. She's the a member of the Night Court for forever. Forever already, my dude. I was going to say, I think we're already there. So I'm not sure why that had to come out. But uh, 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 yeah, of course, Feyre is okay with it. So Reese changes it. And then Feyre has one last gift for Reese. Uh, and so they start having sex. And she uh, just tells him that she, she sends him the image of what the bone carver would present himself to her as. And it was their child. And she essentially is telling him that she is ready to start trying to have a baby. Um, and this is just a friendly reminder for everyone. Faze have a really hard time reproducing. Um, it could take them years to get pregnant. So, like, we don't know when that's going to happen. But Feyre has made the decision that she is ready to starts trying which i understand there's a lot of people who have a lot of controversial opinions like having a lot of different opinions on this decision i think it makes sense Feyre has done what she wants to do and she's ready to settle into a life with reese and having a child is a part of that conversation i get that don't love the timing because they all fucking know that like this is just a pause this isn't the end game so it's a bit like i get where she's coming from it's kind of one of those things where it's like i say this to friends who talk about like oh we're waiting for the right time to get pregnant it's like there's never going to be a right time to get pregnant there's also never going to be a right time to get married either like you either want to do it or you don't um but arguably bringing a child into a war not the greatest move um i get where she's like where you, where you're coming from where you said it takes theoretically it takes like years to get pregnant but still i don't i don't think it was the greatest choice but the next scene is kind of really what gave me like a hmm <laughs> okay I don't even know how to describe how I feel about the next bullet point. 
So they start having sex. And good for them. Um, he finally fulfills his promise from Akamath to take her up against one of the walls in the cabin. Okay, but, like, okay. Who doesn't love that, like, little bit there? It's it's the line. That, that part's great. Yeah. That's part, that part is great. It's, but then mm-hmm. they're talking through the bond, and Feyre asks him, can you fuck me in here, too? Like, in their minds? And he, he he says something along the lines of, I didn't write it down, like, it would be my pleasure. And they somehow are physically having sex and then also mentally having sex. But also, is this also not the scene where he's like, oh, do you like watching how I fuck you? Or like, what? Like, he, like, she watched him fuck her. He, like, shows her yeah. his point of view. Maybe that's, I don't know why, like, I don't know why I didn't like that. I was just like, no, thank you. That's too much. I, I don't. I didn't particularly enjoy that scene. I was like, mm, no. I the the part that freaked me out is that she sends him the picture of the bone carver as their child. Yeah, right as he orgasms. Like, no thanks. It's no, no. no. I, I didn't. Don't orgasm to images of children. Yeah, I. I didn't love that, and I also, like, physically cringe when you just said that. Like, I just hate the <laughs> Like, I know that's... This was not my favorite sex scene. It's not. It's not. I know, I'm sure SJM didn't intend it to be, like, read that way, but that's sure as fuck that kind of, I was like, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like this. I, I get that it's, like, there. he very much, I think... Especially with how Akabor ends, like that last recent chapter, he talks about like, you know, not being not now, but he's very excited thinking about having a family someday with Feyre. And, you know, that's one of the things of this hard, like hard earned peace that he's looking for to the most. And so like he's he clearly wants to have children with her. So like. I get that being something that he desires, but like in that, it was a that was a choice. It was a choice. <clears throat> yeah. Yay. So we end that chapter the next morning, where they go back to Polaris, and for Ferris Solstice present, he has bought her the land on the Sidra that the estate that was destroyed was at for them to essentially build them a whole ass mansion for them and like all of the inner circle and any children that they should have. I want a mansion for Christmas. I, say, I don't hate that. I mean, I'm technically getting a house for Christmas. So I guess I can't tell. And to be fair, I got a house for Christmas last year too. Like, I know we jo- like, we're saying that jokingly. It's not like we were literally like, here's a house. No, like, obviously, this was very clearly, like, we both worked very hard with our husbands to be able to afford these houses, so, like, but that's a joke, so, yeah. And John and I have always jokingly said that, like, we, you know, signing the escrow paperwork is our presence to each other. We got each other, like, something small just for Christmas Day, but, like, we're moving, it's expensive, (laughs) we're trying to not spend that much money. Yeah. So then we uh, go into a recent chapter now, and he goes back to the spring court and finds Tamlin just sitting in front of a dead elk, not doing a whole lot of shit. 
Um, and Tamlin asks Reese if he thinks that Favre will ever forgive him. Favre has forgiven him. Like, if you read Akawar, she did forgive him. Like, she talks about, like, wishing him well from a very honest and genuine place. Like, she's like, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I wish you well. They have that whole conversation at the meeting at the end of Akawar. Yeah, after she did all the fucking damage. Like, oh, yeah, it, it, it's she already f- fucked everything up. Yeah, but like that after he brings back Reese, she has let go of her anger. OK, yeah. Great for Feyre. What about like, I'm not saying that, like, what she did was OK. Like, yes, she let go of her anger. Good for her. Awesome. Like, you do need to do that to, like, move forward. But at the same time, like, you also fucked up a bunch of shit and, like, I do like how Reese points out that Tever- Tamlin never did actually apologize to Feyre. But also, Feyre really went in and absolutely fucked shit up for a lot of people. So Feyre also owes people apologies, in my opinion. Like, I that isn't agree. just a, like, oh, it's a wash. Like, Tamlin did some uber fucked up shit, definitely, but, like, Favorite turned around and literally burned that fucking shit to the ground. And then your last bullet point, I know we're skipping ahead just a smidge, but like you wrote to quote Lucian, you will need Tamlin as an ally before the dust has settled. And he is completely correct here. So I kind of think that there needs to be an, a genuine conversation to happen between Feyre and Tamlin. Like they both fucked up. They both did fucked up shit to each other like granted in different time periods but they both really really like fucked over a lot of people like not just the courts like let's like all of prithian let's be real here all of prithian yeah they put prithian in a significant amount of extra danger unnecessarily so then we get what is arguably, in my opinion, one of the most interesting chapters of this entire book. More chapter. It's chapter 24, perspective from Moore. So Moore, instead of going to visit her friends in the Winter Court, she instead stops by her estate, Athelwood. She goes on this horseback ride. And it's, you know, beautiful. The description of the scenery is beautiful. But then she senses that there's something sinister in the forest. Something shadowy, but not in the way that as is shadowy. So she leaves it behind and goes home. But she thinks about what might be creeping into the night court. This has not been readdressed. No. About what is sneaking into the night court. My first thought is, is this Bryaxis? But I don't think it's Bryaxis. I think it's something else. If It depends on where you are to me in the SJM universe on the answer to that question. I think I know what I, I think I have a sneaking suspicion of what this is. So, okay. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna call an audible here. All right. If you listen, dear listener, have not read Crescent City or any of the Throne of Glass, I'm not done with Throne of Glass, so I'm probably gonna spout some half baked shit here in a second. Okay. But you're, you're gonna need to skip ahead. Yes. Okay. So that's what I'm about to say. This this is your warning. Pause. Skip. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we can like hit some in the notes, Melissa. Like where timestamp it and say like, okay, if you don't want to spoil shit, like here's here's pause. Here's pick back up. So okay, you have been sufficiently warned. Mel, take over. <laughs> I think this is Valg. Whether it's queens or kings, I'm not sure, but I think this is the Valg coming into Prithian. Okay, it's been a it's been a bit, and like we haven't talked about this this in a while. So can you please refresh myself as well as possibly the audience's memory of who that is? Yeah. So in the Throne of Glass series, sort of the big bad other than the gods, is the Valg. So you don't know about queens yet, other than, uh, what's her name? Oh, shoot. Aunt Maeve. Maeve, yeah. It's gonna get there. Okay. So Maeve has very interesting dark power, but not in the same way that, like, Reese or Rune do. So I think there's a significant possibility that we're going to see a convergence of all of the not great things. And I also am in the camp that Highburn, there's a reason why the King of Highburn never had a name is because he was a Valg. And they never describe the color of his or Amarantha's blood. I I think that um, Amarantha is... A Valg? Yeah. I or is she a witch? Where I'm at in this exact moment, I would go with Valg, which I I think you're saying it, and I know what you're talking about, but like I want to say that the the audio books that I'm listening to pronounce it differently. So I'm like, if I'm if I'm skipping or missing something, like I may just be like misconnecting it. But I think more is one of those. I think more is a witch, really. I think Moore's a witch. Okay. And it's significant that she is the Morrigan. Um, and that leads back to like Celtic fairy tales and like folklore um, about the Moore and ha- the Moore has, or the Morrigan has this power of truth, which aligns with what Moore talks about of having this magical power of truth that we've never had explained. Um, but I think she is more. Because you're in Empire Storm, correct? Honestly, I don't even remember. No, you're in Queen of Sh- Shadows. Genuinely, I can't. You fin- I, I can't remember because, like, for listeners, for context, like, I, I'm not great at keep. I think I said this last episode. I'm not great at keeping track of the books, and I had to pause for Iron Flame. So give me one second, and I will tell you. I'm pretty sure you're in Queen of Shadows. Yes, I am in Queen of Shadows. Have you met Manon yet? Or Manon? Yes, but I don't remember. I'm going to have to go back and refresh. So. Yeah, I think. 
I do remember the Manon, name Manon, but I can't remember. Manon, Manon. I always call her Manon. Uh, she reminds me a lot of more. More. Okay. All right. Well, she- I think, and we don't have witches in Prithian. That's true as well. The we reason witches in Crescent City and in Threat of Glass. So the reason I suspected that like Mora was kind of the the vulgar vulgar however the fuck you say it from Crescent City was because she's so old and she doesn't actually remember. And then they were the ones that were like, "Oh, we've tried this before, and it didn't go oh, well." You mean the Asteri from Crescent City? Oh shit, the Asteri. Okay. And the Valg are different. That's right. They're different, but they're related somehow. Potentially. I think that they're related. I think the Valg are a circle of, or like, are one of the hells, like hell with one L from Crescent City. They exist in a hell because huge spoiler, if you have not finished Crescent City 2, House of Sky and Breath, stop, skip 50. Don't listen to this. Absolutely don't listen to this. If you have not read that book to completion, to the very last page of that book, do not listen to what I'm about to say. All right. Here we go. When Bryce is trying to get to hell, that she ends up in Prithian. So Prithian is hell. Okay. And we're going to have a lot more conversations about this when we get to the explanation of the Daglin in Silver Flame, because I think the Daglin were the Asteri's name in Prithian that were cast out many, many centuries ago. Okay. And that information still exists in the library, so we're probably going to go to the Day Court. And that's going to involve Lucian probably at some point, because we're going to have to flush out the Healy and Lucian situation. And he has all of the uh, all of the histories and all the libraries, and they're gonna go there because Bryce can speak ancient, like, and go and find how they got rid of the Daglin in Prithian, so she can go back to Crescent City to Midgard and get rid of the Asteri. Okay. Yeah. Man, I'm going to have to, like, reread and compile. I feel like we're going to need, like, an S, like, previously on. Yeah. <laughs> going into House of Flame and Shadow. We're going to have to, well, and, like, she just posted recently that she got, like, the most physical copy. So I'm very excited about this. But we should have, like a like, a recap, like, hey... Don't listen to this episode if you haven't, if you're not entirely caught up on the Massiverse. Like, Massiverse theories and guesses and, yeah. Okay, so let's move, let's get, let's circle back. Okay, I don't know how you want to mark it, but, like, we'll, we're going to go back into, like, end of spoiler land. So, that's going to take us to chapter 25. It's a couple of days later, and Feyre is outside of the abandoned studio. She tried to buy it, but the family just gave it to her. So she didn't have to look at the money anyway. I'm sorry. That's, like, bullshit. Like, just let her fucking pay for it. Like, come on. Just let her pay for it. 
You can't have uh, everything handed to you. You can't have everything handed to you. And a, li- a little bit feels like that. But a, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. So, uh, Rosinia then tells her about a, a charity for artists uh, that she can donate the studio to. And uh, she decides to go into business with Rosinia and create this charity and this place for people to come get art lessons and do some art therapy. Then we go to Reese again in chapter 26, and he's back at the Illyrian uh, training camps and sees that there's six whole girls training. Yay! That's awesome. Any tiny movement of the needle when it comes to that misogynistic of a, of a culture, it's huge. It's huge. Making strides. We're getting there. And they, they continue the conversation of really hoping that the right will thin the herd um, and help quell the unrest in the camps. And Cassian is going to be working even harder to get more Illyrian girls into training, and he is starting to succeed. So we love seeing a little success on Cassian's uh, feminist attempts to bring in more girls into into the Illyrian training, the Illyrian warrior culture. So then we go to the last two chapters of this book, and it is Feyre. It's been about a month, and they are she's with Rosinia, and they are anxiously awaiting the first round of children to show up to do their art therapy. Um, she has hung the tapestry, the void, in the studio as a reminder to always work through loss. Um, and then at the end of the class, Reese shows up and they talk about it and it sort of fades to black with the two of them walking through the rainbow, arm in arm, happy, content of life. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't. And that is the end of A Court of Frost and Starlight. So (laughs) we've made it. I did not expect the short little novella to take three parts, but I guess I had a lot to say. We had a lot to say, but I I think it was a good one. Honestly, I enjoyed it a little bit more than I expected to. I'll be very honest. I still maintain that you could sprinkle this throughout, but again respect the fact that people love it i get it you got it it's good it's good silver flames already like 900 pages long i didn't need it to be a thousand i guess that's the thing like i don't even pay attention to page numbers i really don't not because like like i don't really buy physical books anymore so like that's definitely part of it but like i don't care if i like the story i don't care how long the book is i'll just read it so but I get it. I fully respect the fact. Like, I don't know if I would have loved an 800-page book exploring that. I very much appreciate SJM sticking to a novella version. I say, I think when I say, like, you could have sprinkled this rock. Like, I'm talking about you could have sprinkled this info throughout, like, the existing novels and just kind of, like, done it that way. But if we were going to have this separate novel, I agree. A novella was the much better version. And before anybody like jumps on my case, I am fully fucking aware of when this book was written and at what point in SJM's life. And I fully fucking respect that. I've been in her shoes and I get it. 
Um, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, she was writing this while her dad was in the hospital, um, I believe with terminal cancer, if I'm not mistaken, but he was extremely sick. Um, I get it. I've been there. Um, and sometimes you just need that like Hallmark movie to keep you going. Um, and for those people who that's how they get through it good for you and clearly that's maybe how sjm got through those situations i'm kind of the opposite i guess i like to torture my soul a bit and i'm the psycho who puts on uh the family stone so <laughs> there's that yeah i i i appreciate that too like you know everybody kind of copes differently i think we got kind of this beautiful tribute yes um with with this in you know, is it the book that I'm going to reach to to reread constantly? Probably not. Yeah. I will be super honest, but I appreciate that it exists. I do, as I'm the person who wants to see a little bit of this, but I this to me was just enough of that stopgap of the end of the war in Aqua War to where we pick up in Silver Flame and kind of the aftermath of it. I liked having this show how some of the characters have progressed in their healing process so that it doesn't all be like, well, what is everyone doing? Why are they, what the hell is going on when you get into act, into Silver Flame? Because it is so, it's telling a different story and the story is structured differently than everything prior to it. Silver Flame is very fresh, in my opinion, having read these five books back to back to back over like a three three ish week period it was to get to silver flame I was like wow this feels very different and i appreciated having frost and starlight as that bridge so i don't think i read the all the books in the same time frame that you did i think it was my mine was a lot more stretched out but I'm good. I think I said the opposite in this literal last episode that we recorded 36 hours ago. <laughs> I'm going to say this. Okay. As much as I don't love the whole quote, like Hallmark movie aspect of this book, I will say, give it a read. Like it's not, I don't, I don't love it. It's not my favorite. I think ultimately like read it once and then you can go spark notes it. Like, and if you really like despise Hallmark movie type deals stuff, then you could spark notes it. But otherwise, read it. I mean, it did take me a long time to read this particular book, only because like it coincided with like a busy yeah week in my life. But I, I could read Acus. I I could read Frost and Starlight in a day. Oh, like, yeah, wouldn't. It it's it's a quick read. I I remember when I was reading it, I went to my friend Lily and I was like, "This is so." I thought this was gonna be like happy, fun. Everyone's in a good place, and there's like a lot of trauma in here. And I'm like, I thought I was. I thought this was a Hallmark movie. Why am I sad? <laughs> um, but I I enjoyed it. But again, it's not it's not gonna be like that comfort read book in the way yeah. that, like Akatar, Akamath, or I would reread 
I would skip all of the other books and just reread Silver Flame because I I love Silver Flame so much. Agreed. So I, I think I think we also talked about this. I'm not a big rereader, and I would definitely read reread uh Silver Flame for sure. It's yeah. very good. I really really like Silver Flame. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's really where we're at with the book. I don't know. That's kind of the end of, of Frost and Starlight. And we're going to pick up with Silver Flame probably after the first of the year. Because uh, we're going to come at you with a little holiday movie. Do I don't think we've even decided which holiday movie we're going to do yet. Not, I keep floating it around. We have. Like, we've tossed a few ideas around. Um, I think we've... I think as you heard earlier in the episode, we're definitely not doing The Family Stone <laughs> Although, if you want a good cry, like a good family, mom, daughter, mom, like son, really, and honestly, like any like mother type relationship that you just like, you need a good cry and it's a good story, highly recommend. It's great. Um, Diane Keaton is one of my favorites. Like, she's quirky and she's funny and she's great. And like, all the kids in it are hysterical. So I it's just a good movie. I like it, but expect to fucking cry. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, it'll rip your heart out. Yeah. Um I don't know. I feel like if we're gonna do a holiday movie, we should go. No, yeah, I that's so a not a little that. lighter. Definitely lighter. I'm still kind of voting on Elf, mainly because I haven't watched it in a couple of years. And it is so good. It is good. I I am, you know what? I will totally watch it. Like, we can definitely do Elf. But I will, I'm just gonna, like, I know this is so stupid because I'm sure everybody watches all of these. I'm gonna say this. I watched Home Alone 2 the other day with my husband, and like, it's been a long time since I've heard him laugh out loud at movies, and he was laughing out loud at the second one. And that, like, Home Alone is so good. I forgot how good that movie is. Like, both of them, one and two. Mm-hmm. And having a nine-year-old, so, like, right in that age range, she asked me today, she was like, Mom, what would you do if that was me? And I was like, well, first of all, I was like, we actually talked about this while you weren't here the other day. I a thousand percent think that you would be creative enough to come up with all of those things, because she so is. Um, But I did say... It wouldn't happen, though, because the minute you figured out that you had been left at home, you would go somewhere or call someone and say, I'm home alone. Like you wouldn't like it wouldn't go any longer than that. Like you go knock on the neighbor's door, be like, hey, I think my parents accidentally left me. Like there's just no way she would let it go on like he did. He she wouldn't just chill in the house and be like, well, I guess I'm alone for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, the premise of Home Alone is a little bit of a stretch. Um, and I want to just remind everyone that the catalyst for the events of Home Alone is quite literally spilled milk. Mm-hmm. Kevin McAllister spills some milk and he gets sent to the attic. <laughs> Which creates the entire chain of events. But that was the first one. So this Correct, the first one. The second one was looking for batteries. 
if anybody's curious, it was looking for batteries. <laughs> like such, like a stupid, <laughs> monotonous <laughs> shit. Literally. Because there's that phrase of like, don't cry over spilled milk. And like, they literally created an entire movie of crap that happened by being mad about spilled milk. You know what, too? I was watching that like the other day, like I just said. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like in all of the movies, actually, like the cast is incredible. (laughs) It's like, Jesus, how did they get all these people in this movie? Especially the second one, like Tim Curry. Oh, my God. I forgot how good he was. And Rob Schneider, who is like a virtual baby. And then Jesus Christ is so funny. And Catherine O'Hara. And then I also saw recently, actually, Macaulay Culkin got his Hollywood star of fame, like the walk, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Um, and Ka- and he had Catherine O'Hara out there and she like had the sweetest little speech, but she was like, you know, thank you for inviting me, your fake mom, who not only left you once, but twice home alone. Like it was great. It was so cute. I know. And it's so interesting to me. Cause like, you couldn't you couldn't make those movies today because like like you no. said a the premise just would never happen and b like there's just a certain level of charm but also I want to know what Mr. McAllister does for a living to take his family of ten to Paris for Christmas okay. and live in that house ditto okay same and I it, it's so funny and then I'll, like I'm gonna throw that in there okay so because that's fucking expensive right all of that but i also did tell my kids i was like this was also the time before like tsa really existed so it was like there was no taking your shoes off in security and like you still had security and you went through stuff i was like but like running through the airport wasn't a big deal you weren't gonna land yourself a fucking felony like you will now but like have you ever watched um like on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, okay, the scene where he gets the bonus check, okay, the man plans to not only buy a pool, okay, which is a lot of fucking money, but he also intends to fly everyone down there if there's enough left over, is what he says. My question, how big is that fucking bonus? How big is that bonus? Like, I, I every year I end up Googling this. So, listeners, if somebody has a website that you know of that can tell me, A, how much a pool costs in 1989 in Chicago, and two, um, how much plane tickets cost. I don't really know where his family members lived. I assume Eddie was kind of in the Southwest because he's near Las Vegas. But still, that's a lot of fucking money. So if anybody has any idea how much that bonus check would cost, because I want to say like pools cost like 20, 30 grand, right? Now they do. You're doing I, like a built-in, yeah. Yeah. Like, so it's like, like a in-ground pool. Yeah, they're not cheap. Well, and that's what he was imagining when the hot chick, like, jumped off into the pool with no mm-hmm. bathing suit. It was an in-ground pool, so. Yeah. But there we are. So. 
Insane. Insane. So I think that is a great way to conclude this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check out what's coming up next on Mel and Jill Geek Out, be sure to go follow us over on Instagram. It's Mel and Jill Geek Out. Very simple. Or if you have a suggestion of what we should geek out about next, you can shoot us an email over at jillandmelgeekout at gmail.com. Again, my name is Melissa. And I'm Jill. And this has been Mel and Jill Geek Out. Bye. Bye, guys.